The rest of you, if you want to find John chapter 1 as they're making their way out, we're looking at the hope of Christmas to our neighbors this morning. So John chapter 1, stand with me. We're going to look at verse 1 and verse 14. I imagine that many of you could quote these verses. Uh, They've become favorite uh, verses of mine over the years and uh, and so many opportunities to uh, teach and witness and, and share with others. I I just come back to these verses because I think they're some of the most profound verses. Now, we're taking three weeks to look at the hope of Christmas. And we're taking our mission statement as a church, leading people to, uh, and by people we mean our neighbors, the nations and the next generation, to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And today we're focusing on the hope of Christmas to our neighbors. We see that hope and how it was presented in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14, which kind of sandwiches this, this wonderful text, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. Some translations say dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank You that You cared about the neighbors. Help us to understand that we can be, in so many ways, the ones who make Christmas real to our neighbors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. 33 years ago yesterday, Trinity was started as a church. And it was always within the mission, even though we might have articulated it in different ways over the years, it's always been part of our mission to emphasize ministry to our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. A church that wants to reach the world for Christ and give people an opportunity to experience Jesus and His love around the world, but also reaching people right here at home and reaching the next generation. We've been very intentional about that through the years as a church and will continue to be. This morning, I want us to think about Christ to our neighbors. I look forward to next Sunday, our white Christmas service. For many of you, it'll be the first time uh, that you've been a part of our white Christmas service, but we'll bring gifts wrapped in white for those in our community. We get a chance to kind of respond to this message on bringing the hope of Christmas to our neighbors. There are gifts. If you're still wondering, well, what kind of gift do I bring? There are some ornaments still on the tree this morning. You can take one of those, bring one of those gifts. Those are some families in our community that have particular needs that we're trying to meet as a church. And so you can take one of those, bring it back next Sunday, wrapped in white. But also bring a gift. Uh, If the Lord has blessed you, you want to be a blessing to others, but we're going to receive an offering at the end of the service for international missions. And uh, and part of our Great Missions March, there will be a basket here for you to place gifts in for international missions. And then on the 20th, the next generation will focus on the importance of taking this Christmas message to the next generation. Our kids will be singing. We'll have a great time over these next three Sundays, uh, really spreading so many of the uh, elements of celebrating Christmas across the next three Sundays. But today our focus is on something that Christ did in verse 14, something that we need to understand in this understanding, the definition of Christmas according to John's gospel that perhaps is different than the other gospels. I remember when uh, I was in college and 
I had an opportunity to go to Israel, and we only had to provide our, our flight to New York, and then the trip was covered, uh, thanks to some underwriters, to go to Israel. And so my friend Scott and I decided, wow, we've never been to New York before. Let's go about a day and a half early to New York. And when we get to uh, New York, we'll kind of see everything. We've heard New York is wonderful. It was actually December. It was uh, fun to go to New York at Christmas time and see all of the lights and everything. So we, we, we kind of enjoyed that trip, learned a lot. It was obvious that we were not from there as we kind of made our way around. But so what? You know, most of the people that were there were kind of tourists at the time that we ran into in the places that we went and that sort of thing. And um, we got used to the subway system. And after having taken a taxi to uh, our hotel and then spending a day and a half walking over uh, Manhattan and everything else, we the, finally had to go back to the airport. And I remember we we got on the subway. We thought we had it all figured out now. We had our luggage. We were packed for a week, actually 10 days in New York, I mean in Israel, in the Holy Land. And so we get on the subway and we get off about two stops too early by mistake. And it happened to be one of those stops that uh, where you got off, you couldn't get back on. You would have to take a bus to the next location. And so here we were in Queens with our luggage going, where are we? What are we doing here? We clearly look like strangers. And uh, fortunately, at Christmas time, everybody was just being so nice, and they helped us out. I remember thinking, man, that was crazy. We were strangers. We didn't know where we were. We were young men. We didn't know what we were doing. But, but some folks just kind of were nice to us and, and helped us find our way. Just a few days after that, we were in Bethlehem. Christmas time thinking about how Christ came into the world. He was a stranger. If anything was out of place, it would have seemed like the God of the universe being born, laid in a manger in a stable because there was no room for Him. John brings us the fact here in verse 14 that Christmas has everything to do with our mission to our neighbors. John presents what we would call, when you, in fact, when you read John chapter 1, you often aren't thinking in terms of the Christmas narrative, but, but John gives us the theological, what we might call the cosmological Christmas narrative. The fact that the God of the universe who, who put the sun and the stars and everything in its place, created this earth, now steps into time and space as a baby. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it wasn't just significant to Bethlehem or, or to Jerusalem or to Israel. What John has tried to communicate in his gospel is it changed the world. It changed the universe as we know it, that God the Son would become flesh. He gives us the big picture, and it serves as a model of our mission. And so this morning, I pray that the Spirit of God will convict your heart to bring Christmas hope to your neighborhood, but that we would learn from Christ's example for us. First of all, that we would see that Christmas offers us a real person. Christmas is a real story, a true story about the God of this universe who became a real person. It says, and the Word, the Logos, became flesh. Logos, the, the universal truth and, and meaning and everything that God could be in His revelation to us, the Word. In, in verse 1 we read that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So everything that God is, 
is being revealed, being communicated. That's the logos, the word, being communicated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the very revelation of God. Sometimes we use the word incarnation. The word incarnation, simply it comes in the middle of that word, you, you see the word carne, which is the word for flesh. That's where we get our word carnality from when we're walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. But the word carne, incarnation, he was putting on flesh. God, the God of this universe, the God who put all of the sun, moon, and stars and everything that we can, you know, they're discovering uh, the farthest reaches of this universe constantly that it baffles the mind to think that the God who spoke all that in and put it all into place, who could take it all, drop it into his eye and not even blink, that God took on flesh. That word became flesh. He was a real person. God the Son became a real person. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read, Long ago God spoke to the fathers. That's word. That's revelation. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, remember Hebrews being written in the first century after Christ's coming and life and death and resurrection, he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. That means Jesus is now that word. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son, that was born in a manger, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. God became a real person. In 1 John, John would write in his letter, Chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. What was John trying to say as he wrote the epistle of 1 John? He was trying to say, Jesus was real. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a make-believe story. This is not another Hallmark movie. This is the real thing. God became a real person. Jesus was a real man. He was the God-man. He was the mediator. He is someone who can understand us. We can identify with him because he became like us yet without sin. Hebrews puts it this way, we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with the feelings of our infirmities. We have one who was in every way tempted like, yet, like as we are, yet without sin. He became like we are to experience life as we experience life. Though he never sinned, he understood the trials, the temptations, and everything that this life throws at you. Jesus became a real person. How many of you have ever had an imaginary friend? Just be honest, raise your hand. Did you ever have an imaginary friend growing up? Some of you did. Some of you just not wanting to confess. How many of your children have had an imaginary friend? Raise your hand. We'll get a better answer there, right? Yeah. I won't talk about my brother or my son and their imaginary friends growing up, but they can tell you their names. Um, a lot of kids have imaginary friends. They have a, they, they, they create something in their mind, and that's when you walk up and, and they're having a conversation with somebody who's not there, or they're telling you stories about what they experienced with someone who's not even there. That's what the world has said that we've done with the person of Jesus Christ. That if we're praying, we're praying to someone who's imaginary. If we talk about devoting our life to Christ, the world is saying they're not really there. It, it, there's, 
both the atheists and what we would call the religious existentialist who says, God's not real. He, we have created this idea. He's a figment of our imagination, and it might help us to live better, so it's okay. That's what the world is saying. John is rebuking that idea, and he says, I want you to know something. God is real, and God became a real person. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas tells us God is real, and God became a real person. Now, what does that mean for us when it comes to learning from God's model for bringing the hope of Christmas into the world? It means our life, our mission must be incarnational. It means we've got to learn to be real. We're flesh and blood. We're often reminded of that, right? But we're to be real. We're not going to be perfect as Christ was perfect. But we come into a relationship with Him, and He is, by His Spirit, making us more like Jesus every day. But it doesn't make a difference in the lives of others unless they see that we are real. That means we have to learn to be personable. Sometimes Christians can be so isolated and impersonal. We've got to learn to be personable. We've got to learn to get to know people and build relationships with people because that's what Christmas says that God did in Christ. He became a real man. He became a real person. Yes, fully God, but also fully man. He became personable. He became approachable. A lady could touch the hem of his garment. This very John who wrote this could rest with his head on the very chest of Christ like a pillow, as brothers would do. We can't be isolationists, you say, but this, this world is so messed up. They don't get the Christmas story. They don't look at all that's happening in the world today. I, I just want to isolate myself. I just want to hide from the world. I just want to protect myself and protect my family. But all of a sudden, we're robbing people of the Christmas hope. We've got to be real. We've got to be personable. We've got to allow people into our lives, family and friends, and yes, neighbors. What do we mean by neighbor? Well, that kind of takes us to the second point. Christmas offers not only a real person, Jesus in the flesh, it offers a relational presence. A relational presence. What do we mean by relational presence? He took up residence among us. In the Holman Standard, it says he took up residence among us. Some translations say he dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He moved into our neighborhood. Literally, it's in the Greek, it's he pitched his tent among us. So Jesus was a real man, but he also had a relational presence. He came to live where we live. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, when he fled to Egypt, when he came back to Nazareth, he grew up in communities. He was around people. He made himself known in a relational context where people could get to know him personally. See, we, we've missed the big deal of Christmas. T- today we say, hey, the big deal of Christmas is you better watch out, you better not pout. Better not cry, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. The big deal of Christmas is not that Santa Claus is coming. The big deal of Christmas is that God already came. 
that Christ has already come, that He has dwelt among us, that He has has revealed His glory to us. The Word became flesh, and He took up residence. The Word became flesh, and He moved into our neighborhood. Jesus was a real baby with parents with whom He would have a relationship with. And though Joseph wasn't his biological father, he would learn from a father. He had a relational presence. He would show compassion to his mother. He would have brothers. He had relational... Now, now Jesus was perfect. I imagine that made it hard for his brothers. Anybody got a sibling who seems like they can do no wrong? Drive you crazy, one. A sibling who can do no wrong. Jesus could do no wrong, and so he had real brothers. We're told in Scripture that, you know, that later that James, we see, and, and Jude, who would actually write letters that became part of the inspired Scriptures. That's wonderful, but there was a time, even before the resurrection, before his death, there was a time during the life of Christ where James and Jude didn't like Jesus so much, and they didn't put their faith in Christ. And they were kind of saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, you're who everybody thinks you are, come and, come and prove it to everybody. But, but the Scriptures tell us his brothers didn't. That he had relational issues with his own family. We need to have a relational presence where we're trying to make Christ known. This Christ who was born as a baby would grow up to have friends. We think of that often. He had cousins like John the Baptist. Elizabeth, friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he hung out with, that he grew up with. Jesus was even called at times a friend of sinners because he reminded the Pharisees and the religious crowd that he was sometimes hanging out with the people who needed him the most and who understood their need for him. He had a relational presence, immediate family, cousins, extended family, neighbors. He had a relational presence in this world. And our mission, we have to live among people. We're to have a relational presence. If we're going to influence this world with the hope of Christmas, we can't isolate ourselves any longer. We've got to realize God has placed parents and children, brothers and sisters, cousins, (laughs) friends, classmates, co-workers, into our life for a reason that we might bring the hope of Christmas to them. Do you have a relational presence in your neighborhood? So wait a minute, who is my neighbor? Interesting you ask, Jesus was asked the same question. Yeah, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he answered the story by telling, or he answered the question by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, He kind of points out something. The question is not, who is your neighbor? The better question is, to whom can you be a neighbor? Who are the people in your world that you're to be reaching out to on a regular basis? Where has God strategically placed you, both geographically where your home is, but also socially where you work, where you go to school, where you spend your time? Are you seeking to be a neighbor? Are you seeking to have a relational presence with those around you? Or, or do we try to say, well, I'm just holding on till Jesus comes, hiding out till Jesus comes. That's not incarnational. Jesus could have stayed in heaven and we would all be without hope. But he put on flesh and he dwelt among us so that we might experience the hope of the world in him. So our mission is to live among people, to get to know them. 
spend time with family and friends and get to know them. Get to know our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates. And that person who is left alone, that, that is often isolated, you reach out and get to know them. Build a relationship with them. Christmas offers a relational presence. And finally, Christmas, we can't leave this third part out. See, so we can do the other two really well sometimes. If we leave the third part out, we miss the point. Christmas offers a redemptive purpose. See, the Word became flesh. That's the real person. He took up residence among us. That's a relational presence. Why? Why did God in Christ do all this? Why was there a Christmas? Is it so we could sing jingle bells and, and, and have a great time and, and, and rock around the Christmas tree? Hey, listen, I like to do all of that. Why did God allow there to be a Christmas? It was so, look at the verse, we could observe His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, because we needed something from Him. What was it we needed from Him? He was full of grace and truth. That is the redemptive purpose of Christmas. Christmas, just so we could say, oh, there was a cute baby in a manger. It was Christmas, just so we could say, Jesus was a great guy. Became a great man. No, because that wouldn't have been enough. Jesus was born and placed in a manger in the shadow of a cross. He was born so that we might, here it says, observe His glory. To observe, see it, get it, understand it, receive it by faith. His glory, He was God of the only begotten. The only begotten. The glory of the only begotten. A couple of chapters later, he would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There is only one that has ever been sent to reflect the glory of God with a redemptive purpose. All of the other religions in the world fall short of this. That's why we can't say all roads ultimately lead to God because God only sent one, his, only, his one and only begotten, only one would re reveal his glory, only one would be full of grace, and truth, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that only whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That was His redemptive purpose in Christ. Full of grace and truth, Jesus would say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. We needed grace. We needed truth. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as a light in the darkness to show us the way. Not only to show us the way, but to be the way. He was full of grace and truth. Grace is God's unmerited favor. In Him we can have life and life more abundantly than in no one else. This world is looking for purpose. We're so afraid sometimes of what the world is going to do to us. But think about this. God is saying, I am one who transcends this world, but I moved into the neighborhood. The Word became flesh that you might behold the glory of God and realize that you're living for a better home. So many times, we get so worried today about this whole immigration thing, and especially now with, with, with the rapid expanse of Islam and, and, and 
the influence, and I realize our government has to, we've had conversations, I've had conversations with several of you about this, our government has to exercise a certain prudence, and yet we don't want to throw compassion out the door, and so we're praying for wisdom, and in so many ways it's the government's responsibility to protect the people, and in other ways it's the people's responsibility to show love and compassion, and so we're praying for wisdom, and and praying for wisdom for our leadership, we get so worried. Well, what's going to happen to me? Listen, I've read the book. I know what's going to happen to us. If we follow Jesus, we're going to be A-OK. We're going to be all right. We don't have to live our lives in fear. We live our lives in faith. But let me ask you this question. Do we worry more about what this world is going to do to us, or do we stop and think about what we're supposed to be doing for the world? See, we're to be that light in the darkness. Jesus came as the light of the world, but then he said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. See, while so many of us fear Islam, and listen, I am not a fan of Islam. Jesus is the only way to the Father. The Muhammad the prophet was a false prophet. Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But I don't fear the other religions in the world I have faith in Jesus Christ. But do we ever stop and ask, now wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing to make a difference in their lives? They need the hope of Messiah, the only hope of the world. Do you realize that in Africa, where they can't run from it anymore, six million Muslims are turning to faith in Jesus Christ every year? That is an awesome thing. Do they still fear the attacks around them? Absolutely. Six million Muslims every year on the continent of Africa are coming to faith in Christ every year. They can run from it no longer, so they realize we better start leading them to faith in Christ, even if it means giving our lives. And as Christians, we need to realize this world's not our home. We've got a better home, and it's a home in heaven. And we're going to be incarnational. We've got to realize Christmas offers the fact that Jesus was a real person. He had a relational presence, and he had a redemptive purpose, and that was to point people to himself that they might have life, that they might have everlasting life, and that they might have life more abundantly. And it's, it's not radical Muslims that I worry about. It's the lack of radical Christians that I'm more concerned with. Christians who are on fire for Jesus Christ, who will let their light shine in a dark, what many are calling a post-Christian world. I pray that God would put a fire in our soul. We'd get serious about the fact that Jesus was relational. He moved into our neighborhood. And that we would have an incarnational ministry. That we would say, you know what? The world says everything's getting worse. We know the one who can make everything better through a relationship with him. He was born 2,000 years ago and laid in a manger. Lived a sinless life died on a cross in my place and in your place, rose again on the third day, and he is coming again. And when he comes again, he's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm glad I know him. But I want to make him known. What about you? Join me in that. Would you bow your heads with me?